Father, we thank you so much for every good gift we have received from you. Lord, even as we recognize the gift we have received in one another, we thank you for all the eternal blessings we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would make us a people who are willing to hold things lightly that have no eternal significance, but that we would yearn for and strive for and hold fast to those things which have eternal value. We thank you for the privilege of gathering together. We can think of it as a privilege granted to us by our government, but ultimately, God, we know that it is you who have granted this privilege because it is you who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. It is you who have made us a people where we were once not a people. It is you who have given us great promises and blessings in your covenant to those who, by nature, were not a part of your covenant. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have been invited into your family. Lord, I ask you this morning for those who are hurting, those who have illness, those who have lack, those who are lonely, those who can't come and join us this morning. We want to pray for them, God, for whatever reason. And those who are struggling, we, Lord, I ask that you would, in your spirit, be with them. But we also ask that you would make us your hands and feet, that we would provide for those who are hungry, that we would sit with those who are lonely, that we would grieve with those who are suffering loss. And Lord, especially that as your spirit moves through us, we could encourage one another in the gospel, the great hope that we have received free of charge because of the work of your son. And so, Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in all things, that you would help us to rejoice in our suffering as we've just sung because of the great hope which you have given us, the love which you have loved us, that we can have this peace. Lord, we know that you are working all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that the joy of our salvation would override all pain this morning. And Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for our hearts are hard to what you say unless you soften them. Our ears are closed, our eyes are blind unless you open them. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come to your word with the attitude of those who sit under it and receive it authoritatively to us because it is yours. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read seven verses. Leighton has his work cut out for him this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, 
live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. morning. I did not know what I was getting myself into when I picked First Peter, like this summer, uh, the last message being on submitting to the government um, in the state that we're in, and this one having its own intricacies, but the word of the Lord is good. Uh, So we are continuing in 1 Peter, uh, exegetically, verse by verse, going through it. And so far we have seen um, that this is the foremost letter on suffering for your faith, perhaps even suffering because of your faith. It shows a beautiful grafting of non-Israelites and Israelites together. There's a new identity for us in Christ and of the astounding hope that we have uh, in our future. But this one's a doozy. I'd like to broach this passage slowly, uh, enter into it as an old man enters into a hot tub with (laughs) nearly imperceptible speed. Um, But here it is. Scripture doesn't mince words, front and center, full force. First Peter 3 verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the immediate problem that we face here is that we are human, we are sinful, we are jaded, And as we come to this text, we must be conscious of the problem of hearing these words in a way that was never intended. Because we have seen, we have heard, and even perpetrated far too many abuses of power, stories of violence, systemic, institutional, cultural examples of male dominance and chauvinism, to cleanly approach this verse. To address this verse is to elicit objection. Someone is going to tell me that I got it wrong, but I am sticking to Scripture. So someone else is going to want to tell me that the Bible got it wrong. On the other hand, to avoid this verse is to dismiss the counsel of God. So what then? There is a movie that our family watches where a little rock guy cannot predict what's about to happen. And he says, when one cannot see the future, all you can do is the next right thing. And it makes for a great song. And doing the next right thing wins the day. But you and I are not so limited. We do know the future. God is glorified. Christ Jesus will reign supreme. 
Both men and women are together saved and reconciled and fitted together into God's temple. When you and I don't know what to do next, how to proceed, God has given us access to his throne. Through Christ, we can approach his majesty for counsel. We can pray. So let's, let's do that now. Father in heaven, to run away from hard texts denies the faith, to jump into hard texts stirs up strife, and to tippy-toe exhibits a weakness unbecoming of the Christ follower. Human history, even our present state of things, displays the crushing weight of oppression and denial that men have enacted against women. Our mothers and sisters and daughters have suffered unjustly. And I plead for forgiveness for my own faults here and for all of our complicitness. God, would you give us your spirit right now to lead us into all truth? We want to follow Jesus in this way. May you be praised. Amen. First off, submit does not mean put up with violence. We are not to hurt others because they bear the very image of God, and no one should accept abuse against themselves as they bear the very image of God too. In our last chapter, 1 Peter 2.14 shows that God has instituted earthly laws and authorities to deal rightly with people who abuse others. There is no place for it. Submission is to be a beautiful thing, not an ugly thing. Our passage begins with the word likewise, and on the surface, that appears to make things worse. Because the likewise refers back to Peter's first two admission, admonitions for Christians in the public sphere. That we are to submit ourselves to every authority and government placed over us for Christ's sake. And that servants, even slaves, are to submit themselves to their masters, whether godly or unjust. And likewise, wives are to submit themselves to their husbands. To start, this shows that submission is for everyone. We are all called to submission, each one of us. Put it this way, you do not want to meet the person who submits to no one. That is the Nero, the Hitler, the psychopath. Peter writes as he does because we all have a problem with submission. You've probably seen the t-shirt or the baby jumper. I have a problem with authority. I think our first point that must be made is that humans are rebels. We don't like submission. We want to make the rules. We don't want instruction. We don't want God. I want to suggest that our first act in clearly reading this passage today is to realize the common denominator across all humanity is that fundamentally we reject all authority right up to the top, and that's the very definition 
of sin. We are rebels. Scripture says that our every impulse is to disobey. Uh, read with me Romans 1, 28 to 30. And since they, uh, going to change it. And since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave us up to a debased mind to do what not, not to do what ought not to be done. We were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, as if there's not enough evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though we know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, we not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Before we even dip our big toe into this hot tub, you and I have to be perfectly clear that submission isn't just for wives. It's something, it isn't just something hard to hear for women. It's what no one wants to hear. It's what only those freed from slavery to sin that can begin to embrace a posture of humble submission to God's rule. Men and women, you need to hear the virtues of this passage are not feminine virtues. The next point, this is not cultural. In our culture of equality, these verses are often dismissed pretty quickly as a word for a different time and place. And while it's very true that Peter wrote this to people in a very different social, economic, political, and even intellectual time, this isn't a structural move on his part. He's not overtly trying to change a hierarchy or paternalism. He is trying to change the heart. He's about God's desires. God wants heart change. And if submission is hard, it's not because human institutions are misogynistic, which means to hate women, or chauvinistic, the favoring of males. It is because the heart despises being disadvantaged. You may recall Josh saying this, but I think it fits so well here. And if you were here on Wednesday, uh, these next words, I repeated them too, um, which... It's a terrible segue, but this Wednesday, we're going to have a hymn sing here. Um, 6.30, if you need a ride because it's dark, we will do that. We will find people to get you here. Uh, but this is what I said at, at the last sing song. Theologian Bruce Waltke notes that in the book of Proverbs, wickedness is characterized by those who disadvantage others for their own advantage. And righteousness is the disadvantaging of self for the advantage of others. So in any given moment, or of any given thought, you can ask yourself, are you disadvantaging others, or are you disadvantaging self? Christian, your name literally means little Christ, and you must be comfortable disadvantaging self for the sake of your God. Jesus is our sacrificial savior. Your worship is to be sacrificial followers, 
Your God is sacrificial. You should be sacrificial. Submit to God. Submit to his rulers. Submit to your masters. Submit to your husband because that is the order God has established for his glory. Your husband wasn't just your choice. God sovereignly placed you two together. Is this still hard? Here's the crux. Men and women of Christ, you are to submit to the Bible. Sola scriptura, as the reformers would say, scripture is our final authority, given to us from God, inspired to instruct, convict, guide into all godliness. To this point, no one, there is no one arguing that the Bible doesn't say wives are to submit. Everyone admits this. Everyone everywhere agrees that the Bible says wives are to submit to their husbands. So the debate is whether or not we should follow these verses. It's whether or not they can be explained away somehow. Some say it's cultural. Or Peter was just a man with uh, male control issues in mind. Others have said God the Father is a patriarchal construct. So let's spend some time on these challenges. First, this is not cultural. Peter writes to many different regions and cultures in Asia Minor with this, with this one letter. And Paul writes the same or similar to many more different regions and cultures around the Mediterranean with many different letters. There's a time component as well. And the instructions of the canon of Scripture are for all time. This is meant for all cultures. This is meant for all time. Also, the instructions of submission aren't cultural because it's baked into how God designed humans. Paul points to creation in 1 Timothy 2 on the roles of men and women. We say that Eve was made from Adam's rib. That's how it's commonly read. But it's better translated as side or even half. She was his other half. Created as equal yet other. Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is his helper. Not an inferior term. His complement. Equal worth but with different roles. There's also common a argument of trajectory made on gender equality, of sameness or equality where men and women will one day be liberated to interchangeability in the future. But that can't be because it means we now know something ethically or morally or spiritual and we know this better than the scriptures. As if nowadays we are to know something better than what was written. That's not how scripture works on moral points. We can't put ourselves over scripture. The other argument is chauvinistic, I guess. Peter was just a man. 
God is a chauvinistic construct. Submitting to scripture does away with these challenges, actually. The mark of true faith is obedience. And that simply means saying yes to God before understanding fully what he wants you to do. The mark of faith, I'll say it again, the mark of faith throughout scripture is obedience. And that simply means saying yes to God before fully understanding what he wants of you. The Christian holds the Bible as God's word. It's not the musings of a bunch of male writers. And we commit to submitting to scripture and then to figuring out how it's lived. You cannot be a Christian and stand over scripture to figure out how and what you want to follow in it. You just can't. Gender and roles are divinely given and instituted to reflect God's glory. Submission is not a posture our prideful selves like, but we dismiss the point entirely when we stay stuck on submission and miss the love that should supersede it. Christ has freed us to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. We don't work for salvation. It's a free gift of immeasurable value. Similarly, don't submit as a work or rule, but out of love for God and for your husband. And that kind of love isn't something that we can muster. It's a gift from the Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, your marriage exists as a worship of God. Husbands, your marriage exists. Wives, your marriage exists to build up the people of God and to advance the kingdom of God. Don't think that marriage is so small a thing as a means of your own happiness or your spouse's happiness. It bears eternal, ecclesial, eschatological, and missional significance. And all that to say is that your marriage is ordained to the praise of God in every sphere of life. In Ephesians 5, 22 to 25, Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is the Peter-Paul parallel. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself, his, the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God has ordered all things. Planets, physics, society, gender roles, and all for his glory. Christ, being equal to God in substance, value, and nature, submitted himself to the Father. Husbands are to submit to Christ and wives to their husbands. A special note, uh, you might have caught this already, but a wife submits to her one husband, her own husband. It's in both verses. And this has been messed with to mean that women should submit to men everywhere, and that just isn't biblical. So again, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What does submit look like? The simplest explanation that I've heard is that submission itself is best defined as giving final say to one's husband. Talk together, decide things together, do things together. If one of you has abilities that the other lacks, then that is your realm. But as a wife, do not put your foot down. That's what this comes down to. So, just as, you sub- to, <laughs> just as you submit to the government and slaves to their masters, wives submit to your own husbands for three reasons. Because this is how God has established order. It's not grounded in some power or hierarchical leadership status, but it's in the Lord's way of life. Two, it's how we submitting with the very vulnerability that comes from love. And three, it might just evangelize your unbelieving husband. Your conduct is to be so pure, so full of genuine respect. Wives, like slaves and citizens of heaven, are to so clearly point beyond themselves and their situations that it is obvious they are submitting to earthly, the earthly order of things for the sake of something so much greater. It is for Christ. Live in such a way that nothing can be lodged against the gospel because of your behavior. Your conduct beyond your words is to be so unquestioningly spirit-empowered that your husband, Christian or not, ought always see the difference Christ is making moment by moment in your life. Underlying this teaching is that a Christian ought not to marry a non-Christian. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Ask anyone who is in this kind of marriage, and if they are candid, they will tell you of the hardship of seeing the world so completely differently as to be living in a completely different reality than their spouse. That's what the lenses of gospel truth do. They shed light on this world so the believer can see the reality of this life. What is important to the Christian is not to the non at every level. Young people, I'm going to talk to you for a moment. You might like someone. They are beautiful. You are beautiful. But if you do not share the same deep faith, you have nothing in common. The suffering of a believing spouse that they carry for his or her unbelieving spouse is nearly too much to bear. Do not Follow your heart. (laughs) Follow your God. And wives who are in this kind of relationship, be subject to your husbands that they may be won without a word by your conduct. 
when they see how respectful and pure it is. Peter goes on to support this. Verses three and four, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. They say beauty is fleeting, but that is superficial beauty. The superficial beauty of youth and symmetry and style. I just heard it said this week that unlike so many other books, the Bible rarely describes the appearance of its characters. If you think about it, literature often goes deeply into describing how somebody looks nowadays, but not so with the Bible. We know that David was ruddy, whatever that means and that Esther was fair and beautiful to look upon. But even those aren't really meaningful descriptions. So why is, why is the Bible like this? <clears throat> the answer is actually quite simple. God wrote the book, and he sees beauty differently than you and I. More than any other book, the Bible describes its individual spiritual features, their inner lives. So we know lots about the spiritual life of the people of the Bible. King Saul was impatient and cowardly and hot-headed. Scripture says that Moses was most humble. And Peter was prone to impetuousness, which allowed the devil the chance to sift him as wheat, Scripture says. The inner person it's what's, is what's really important. We know what the Northern Pikes mean when they sing, she ain't pretty, she just looks that way. There are good-looking people in this world who are ugly in every sense. Do your thoughts match your actions? Do your motives match your faith? Peter says what God values as precious, what he sees as imperishable value is an inner life of gentleness and a quiet spirit. That is the trust and faith that we have in the strength and sovereignty of God. How beautiful are your insides? Are they Christ-like? Peter furthers, he further supports his instructions by saying, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Ladies, look at the great mothers of faith. They dress themselves in the beauty of humility and good works, which is to say godly works. They're actually remembered for their interior charms, their spiritual attributes. And if you remember how Peter takes great pains to describe new converts, with the new identity of Abraham's family. Here again, we see them enfolded by Sarah as well. If you do good works and do not fear anything, you are Sarah's children. The fear of God abolishes the fear of everything else. What worries you? Nothing should, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. It's Matthew 6, 
32 and 33, instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then, in verse 7, Peter speaks to husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Peter uses that word likewise again. And it's an appeal to male submission, like it was in verse 1 for wives. Like a citizen to his government, a slave to his master, a wife to her husband, a Christian man must submit to his God. Without this level of submission, submission to God, you show you want no part of God. Not that God can't hear your prayers, but prayers being hindered is because of disobedience. You have distanced yourself from God. He will not bless and give answer to those who are against him. So likewise, in submitting to your God, a husband must care for his wife, showing understanding and honor. Understanding in this verse is not just an attentive ear but it means the technical skill, the deep wisdom of seeing and hearing and caring for her heart. As Christ understands and fully responds to the deepest of our heart needs, that's how a husband is to understand and respond to his wife's. Here, to honor is to respect and elevate alleviate and sacrifice for your wife. Disciple your wife in godliness while she encourages you toward godliness. Weaker vessel. Weaker vessel has been wrecked. As some have changed that phrase with weaker sex. And that's not a biblical statement. We are all called vessels in scripture men and women, made by the great potter. And you can see 2 Timothy 2, 2 Corinthians 4, Romans 9. There is a long list. But the, the weaker vessel refers to a vase that is not inferior, but more delicate. You take more care with delicate pottery. You treat it better. You protect it. You cherish it more. You are to love and care for your wife. Somewhat surprisingly, while scripture speaks of wives submitting to their husbands, it does not say husbands force submission. It doesn't even say remind them when they are not. In fact, it doesn't even say husbands lead your wives. You think it would. Wives submit to husbands, husbands lead your wives. That is not there. Instead, a husband is to be the head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. And that's from Ephesians 5. And a husband is to manage his household well from 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. So drawing on the whole of Scripture, it does say, husbands, love your wives. Lay down your life for hers. Prefer her good over yours. 
Remember, righteousness is the disadvantaging of self for the other. Now, what a picture that is when two people are disadvantaging themselves for the other, or when Christians disadvantage themselves for the betterment of their neighbors. The gender roles of headship and submission are complementary, shared between a husband and wife, in which honor and love, understanding and righteousness reciprocate. They flow back and forth. Why? Peter says, because each is a joint heir of the grace of life. This means each is an equal heir to the glory of God as adopted children through Christ. Christian husbands and wives are completely equal in value and in standing because Christ saves both of them in the same way for his glory. So in Christ, these roles are differences, not lesser and greater. There is no difference in value or worth. Finally, while this passage has a stronger focus on submission of wives to their husbands, as I've said earlier, we miss the point if we stay stuck there. This whole section is about righteousness, our outward response to others in the world. And again, what is written to wives is not just for females. Submission is a virtue, a godly virtue, demonstrated primarily by Jesus, the Son, to God the Father. My last sermon was on submission to the government. And this, this section addressing wives speaks directly to how Christians are to submit to authority. I've had many good conversations since that sermon. And the question is, well, how do we do this? What, what now? This section explains with the virtues of gentleness and a quiet spirit. These are not feminine virtues. They are not softness. They are the expressions of how Christ Jesus related to the world. They are how he speaks of himself. In the only place where he describes his own heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's the gospel. Christ died that those whom God chose might live. And the gift of eternity with God is not where our gifts begin. The gifts of submission and servanthood, treating others as better than ourselves, being so free of pride and selfishness that we can express God's love to others, is a place, is a grace given to us right now. You have been chosen. You have been equipped. You represent God in this way. By his spirit, may you daily grow in your submission to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to share communion right away. It is the leveling ground. As the little ones come back, we will pray, we will prepare our hearts. And we will commune. Let's pray now.
Father, you have shown us a better way to live, and we fight it, and we don't understand it, so we don't do it often. But Lord, teach us as you have promised. Teach us to submit firstly to yourself. You are creating a people. You are redeeming. You are restoring. Lord, give us the ability to joyfully submit to you, to those who are in authority, and wives to their husbands, husbands to Christ. All of this for your glory. All of this because you know the best way to order things. Lord, I pray that we would be able to have deep love. The love that the Trinity shares. Lord, and where it is difficult, I ask for strength. Would you grant your people the strength to follow your good, pleasing, and perfect will? Amen.